Would you please pray with me? Loving God, we ask that you would take us by the hand down to the banks of the Jordan, that you would wade into our hearts, that you would fill us up with joy, love, compassion, hope, and your kind of justice, that we may take that living water wherever we go. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. On the South Sea Island of Vanuatu in April or May of the year, they have a harvest festival. They build a tower out of twigs and logs nearly 45 feet high. And then some brave men will climb the tower and they will get up to the top and they will tie vines to their ankles and they will jump off. The goal is to get as close to the ground with your shoulders touching the ground as possible. It's very dangerous, as you might imagine. Sometimes it results in severe injury or death, but they keep doing it. They've done it for 15 centuries. It is a male initiation ritual in the culture of Vanuatu. And they start boys at a young age, climbing up the tower and starting at low altitudes and continuing up the ladder. And the higher you can go, it's considered a sign of manliness that you can do this. It may seem strange to us, but anthropologists will tell you that it serves two purposes. One is the harvest festival for a successful crop of yams, and another is to initiate boys into what it means to be a man. If you go to the people in Ethiopia, the Hamar people, and a young man wants to marry a young woman, and he goes to her father, the father will say, well, you know the ritual. You need to jump over a herd of cattle. The way they do this apparently is they have, they have a ritual in which the men who have already gone through this ritual and young women jump up and down in sync so that their jewelry chimes. And then there's a little bit of a lashing to draw blood, which also seems strange to us. And then the young, men who, the young man who wants to marry, they line up four bulls. They have to be castrated bulls or it won't work. And he has to jump on top of one of them and go past all four of them three times for it to work. Now this may seem strange to us, sexist, violent, inhumane. There are plenty of rituals like this around the world, but try this one on. The Kina Alder ritual of the Navajo women. Their primary de deity is the changing woman who created the Navajo people. She is the ideal form of womanhood. And it's a four-day ceremony from a girl becoming a woman in which she spends a day preparing in the home, her hair is decorated and her costume put on. On the second day, she runs to the east three times, at the, at the dawn, at noon, and at sunset. And on the third day, she excavates and makes a fire and makes a corn cake, a symbolic ceremonial corn cake that represents Mother Earth. And on the third night, there is singing all night long and she comes out a changed woman, having gone in a young girl, and shares this cake with all the people. Now, sociologists and anthropologists have looked at these rituals and continue to look at them throughout the 20th century, and they say there's usually something in common with them, which is you take a person out of the community, you separate them, you have them go through this transition, and then you reincorporate them back in. Or as Marcia Eliade, the great student of religion, said, there is something about the sacred, something about transitions of sexuality, 
and something about death in all these rituals. There is a symbolic dying away and being reborn, and they often happen about the time of adolescence. Well, when you look at our rituals in the West, they seem perhaps a bit tamer, particularly when you think about the way we do baptism. This is our initiation ritual into the faith, but it's a little chaste sprinkling of water. Now, Sydney was raised a congregational, so she thinks it only happens to babies, but those of you who have grown up Baptists know that often there's a profession of faith that accompanies it. In the Methodist and Congregationalist tradition, we do this at confirmation, when children come forward and are, are, issue, are brought into the faith in that way. But you also know this in other rituals in our life. Those who have served in the armed services know that basic training is a kind of initiation rite to make you tough. All the push-ups and sit-ups and chin-ups and the orders being barked at you and the hard meals and the crawling on your belly and forced marches. Or perhaps if you were ever part of a club or fraternity or sorority, you know some of those initiation rituals, some of which go a bit too far and we call them hazing. The interesting thing about baptism is we keep it very simple, very chaste, and very tame. But I don't think it was like that that day on the Jordan River. There was a crowd, they say. They were separated out, but in the crowd. And if you've ever seen the Jordan River, it's often hard to see your toes. You don't know what you're stepping into. You don't know what creatures are underneath the waves that might nibble at your feet or perhaps even bite you. There is a bit of risk in going into a natural body of water for your baptism. Presumably, this wild man, John, who had his own disciples, Jesus' cousin, went down to the river and had already been doing this because this ritual of baptizing had been going on for centuries with the Egyptians, with different cult practices of dipping people in water, having them die to the old life and come out reborn. In our tradition, we would say it's much like Noah's flood, remembering that incident in which humanity died away and came back with new life, or the crossing of the Red Sea in some traditions, that we escaped some fear or some harm and made it through the water and safely on into the promised land. There's all sorts of things that go into baptism. However, sometimes we just treat it as a casual ritual, a time for parties and photographs, something that we do often without questioning it. I will tell you that many of us pastors want everyone to take their baptism seriously. Martin Luther said we should remember our baptism at all times, and we should also be careful before we take the plunge. My friend Max was thinking about this this week, and he said, sometimes I think that we should make it harder to get into the church. We should make it a little harder to do this initiation right, and then we should have some sort of clause, like a commercial for pharmaceuticals or cars, that follows it and says, Baptism is open to all, but tithing, attending, being a part of community, experiencing regular frustration, discomfort, standing up for what you believe in, other responsibilities are required. Be advised that Christmas and Easter Sunday come only once a year, respectively. <laughs> Actually, Max suggests that we should risk something, that we should try to do something more. He suggests, what if, instead of baptism, we all had to do something a little more daring, say, go skydiving? If in order to join the church, universal. To become a Christian, you had to jump out of an airplane. Now, Max says there's something deeply theological about this. You put yourself out, you take the plunge, you glide on the air, because actually, you have to trust there's only someone like God to hold you up. God in a parachute. 
And he says, as you look out at the vista, the reality of sin and redemption and the dangerous thrill of falling and the vista of salvation, there's a recognition that our lives are not really in our own hands. What is not like that but skydiving and stepping out in faith? But then Max goes a step further and he says, what if when you walked into church, you realized that all the other people there had done the same ritual? They had all jumped out of a plane. The person who's cranky all the time. The person who circles typos in the order of worship and gives it back to you. The person who sings full voice every Sunday. The ushers, even some of our little children. If we had all done this ritual of skydiving, what would it mean how would it change the way we look at each other in our service? Because we had all had that day, the day when we somehow had enough courage to step out of the plane and leap into the arms of faith. Now, we could do it very safely. We could have sponsors who would go with you, just like they do in real skydiving, who would be joined to your body and jump out with you and show how it's done and make sure you did it safely. We'd make sure it all worked very well. You see, when we say the baptismal vows, we're actually talking about some risk here. These are the things we ask of baptizans and of their parents when we take these vows. The first is, are you willing to be baptized into the faith and family of Jesus Christ? Will you encourage these children, or will you yourself, and here's the key phrase, renounce the powers of evil and receive the freedom of new life in Christ? What does it mean for us to renounce the powers of evil, and how free is this life? Will you teach your children by word and example to be Christ's disciple, to follow the way of our Savior, which you will remember ended in a pretty daring way, to resist oppression and evil, to show love and justice, to witness to the work and word of Jesus Christ as best you are able? And do you promise according to the grace given you to grow in Christian faith, to become a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ, celebrating Christ's presence, furthering Christ's mission in all the world, offering the nurture of the Christian Church so that all of us may affirm our baptism. I actually think there needs to be some risk and some courage to renounce evil and oppression and to walk in the way of Jesus. It requires some guts sometimes to do it. Jesus said such daring things as, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, to divide people up and bring dissension. Jesus asked us to give up everything we have, and as far as I know, there are very few of us who've been able to do that yet. Jesus asked us to forgive not just once or twice, but 70 times 70. If you've ever known betrayal down to your bones, you know how hard and how much courage that can take sometimes. Now, I'm not sure that we should give up on the rite of baptism. It's a beautiful rite. And I'm not sure we should all start skydiving. But I think there is something in between which has to do with discipleship, about what it means to follow, which is something I'll be talking about with you in two weeks because it does sometimes take guts to be a Christian. It takes guts, as we'll soon see on the big screen, to walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma again and again and be beaten down. It takes guts, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer showed us, to resist an oppressor to even try to take him down 
and then lose your life for it. It takes guts, as we've seen from our brother Frank, to say to your church, I believe in the love of my son and his partner, and I will celebrate that in the presence of Christ. It takes guts, as some of my colleagues are doing, to say to the mayor and city hall again and again, you have got to take care of these vulnerable people. It is your job, and I, as a Christian, am going to remind you of that. And then to be shunned from the doors of government center. It takes guts, as our friends over at First Church Somerville did, and put up on your steeple, Black Lives Matter. It takes guts, as my friend Jim did, to say to your daughter's coach, as for me and my house, on Sunday mornings, we will serve the Lord, but she's happy to play any other time. It takes guts to raise a child, to follow in the ways of Christ, even when you're trying to figure it out yourself. And my hope is, church, as we learned in our disciples, uh, our Animate Faith course this fall, might be a place where we learn to practice that to practice compassion in the presence of each other, to practice forgiveness, to practice what it means to resist oppression and evil, even in our own families, our own schoolrooms, and our own workplaces. But here's the thing to remember, is after Jesus was baptized, the, earth, the heavens tore open, just like they would on the day of crucifixion when the curtain would be torn the heavens tore open that day, and this dove came down and descended, and there was a voice that said, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. I like to think that every time one of us gets baptized, Jesus says, I believe in you. I believe in you to go out there and to follow in these vows and to do what you were called to do. Martin Luther said, remember your baptism the day you took the plunge. Every time you wash your face, you take a bath, or you pour out water, remember that God loves you and affirms you and calls you to great possibility. Remember your baptism, because God remembers you and wants to see you live fully. I close with this prayer from the Franciscans, if you would pray it with me. God, bless me with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you will live deep in my heart. God, bless me with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people and the earth so that I will work for justice, equity, and peace. God, bless me with tears to shed for those who suffer so that I will reach out my hand to comfort them, to change their pain into joy. And God, bless me with the foolishness to think that I can make a difference in the world so that I will do the things which others say 